this like lending system actually becomes a way of deepening and strengthening community bonds. We don't usually think about taking out a loan as deepening and strengthening community bonds in some profound way, but this actually creates a way for, yeah, again, like to strengthen real relationships um, through this kind of paired, uh, through this paired like vulnerability and offering. I mean, that's one of the main focuses of our community life is really or the life of our community here is trying to emphasize um, mutuality. This is not, you know, a handout to someone. This is rather, we're trying to create the kind of container that allows this to be a really mutual relationship. Hi, and welcome back to Reclaiming Social Justice, a podcast that seeks to read the science of the times through the lens of Catholic social teaching and rediscover our call to work for a more loving society. My name is Danny, and I am the Social Justice Coordinator at St. Anthony Catholic Church in Tigard, Oregon, and the host of this show. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, welcome. So glad you're here, and I really hope that you subscribe to get future episodes. You can subscribe on any of your favorite podcasting platforms, such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you're a fellow St. Anthony parishioner, remember you can find this podcast at our church website at satigard.org forward slash reclaiming sj whatever platform you choose to listen on you can expect new episodes monthly on the last wednesday of the month in the last episode i i actually forgot to mention to you all that two people have recently reached out to me to give me feedback on the podcast and i was so surprised but i welcomed their their podcast and i'm so happy that um those two individuals reach out you know who you are um one of them actually has his own podcast focused on all things marvel cinematic universe so if you love marvel like i do go check out his podcast called mcu need to know um, and for anybody else that's interested in connecting do reach out my email is d-r-a-u-d-a at satigard.org And I will respond. Let me know what you think about the podcast or we can just have a chat about um, anything related to our faith, about social justice or even Marvel because I am a huge Marvel fan myself. You can also give me your thoughts and recommendations for future guests and topics by going to bit.ly slash reclaimingsjfeedback. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash reclaimingsjfeedback. You'll find the link at the end of the show notes. All right, in this episode, I speak with Bert and Emma from the Simone Vale Catholic Worker House in Portland, Oregon. If you were following me in the first season of this podcast, Bert and this Catholic Worker House specifically should ring a bell as they were on the show called Building an Intentional Community with the Houseless During a Pandemic. So go check out that episode to learn more about um, Dorothy Day, the Catholic Worker Movement in general, and how this house, the Simone Weil House, got started um, and the, the barriers and challenges that they were experiencing um, during the pandemic. In this episode, though, we're going to talk about their community cooperative banking project and how that is a tangible way to live Catholic social teaching. We'll talk about principles of subsidiarity, solidarity, what it means to live in, in mutuality, as they say, or, or, or relationship. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Bert and Emma from the Samuel Catholic Worker House. Enjoy. Make sure you stick around after the interview as I unpack this theme that they just kept going back to over and over again. And that's the theme of of relationship. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. So what does that mean? What does our Catholic social tradition have to say about the this idea of community bonds, right? And strengthening relationships. So stick around for that. 
Bert and Emma, welcome to the podcast. Since we've already had a chance to get to know a little bit about Bert and his story in the previous season, so you can, if folks can go to season one, episode four. Um, but before that, I wanted to give Emma a chance to introduce herself. So, hi, my name is Emma Coley. Um, I'm from Northeast Ohio. Um, and I moved here out here to Portland, um, actually from the East Coast where I was going to school. Um, and first came to Portland when I was doing research as an undergraduate student studying religion. Um, and my research project was on uh, self-organized communities of unhoused people. So I got to know a community called Second Chance Village in Akron, Ohio, where I'm from. Um, and was really, um, yeah, taken with and admired um, their ability to create community seemingly from nothing. Um, especially this is a yeah, and to create a sense of like meaning and purpose um, in a context where it would otherwise be very difficult to do so. Um, and so that, for me, really deepened my understanding of yeah, my existing commitment to intentional community, to the Catholic worker, uh, seeing those principles being lived in, the, in this different way. Um, that community was shut down and by the city um, in the middle of my research. And so I was uh, asked the lawyer who was defending them. Um, you know, where, where's other stuff like this happening? Um, and she said, you should go to Portland. There have been some, uh, village communities around there for, for a long time. Um, the city has taken kind of a creative policy stance towards them. Uh, so I flew out here for the summer and, and already knew the Catholic worker, knew, knew the Catholic worker in Akron, um, as well as in New York. And so just Googled Catholic worker Portland, um, and sure enough, found the Simone Bay house. Uh, I think it was a week or so, just, you know, about a week after they put up their website. I called the number there and Bert picked up um, and yeah, ended up showing up for the house's first open Wednesday dinner. So it was kind of here at the start of things, uh, totally by, totally by chance. Um, and ended up, uh, Bert planted the seed for me to move back here after I graduated. And sure enough, that's what I did. Walk us through a little bit about how you got to this point, you know, which, is there somebody or some event that happened in your life that taught you to live a faith that does justice? Yeah, so I'm a cradle Catholic, uh, born into a big Irish Catholic family. Um, And so I went to Catholic school my whole life. My mom is a Catholic grade school teacher. My dad used to play guitar in the choir. My mom was a Eucharistic minister. So very much grew up um, within the life of the church. But things for me, really, my faith became a more central part of my own life. Um, After I started high school, I went to a Jesuit high school. And that's where a priest named Father Jim King first introduced me to the Catholic worker and to Dorothy Day. Um, and he's someone who, yeah, played a very central role in my faith formation. Yeah, but also it seemed, I think one of the reasons I was drawn to the worker specifically as a model was there was this, you know, the story passed on in my own family. I wasn't, I wasn't alive at the time, of course, but uh, my grandfather used to um, open up his, after my grandmother died, used to open up his um, house, which was a big house. He had a lot of kids uh, to folks who were struggling with alcoholism and needed a place, a couch to crash on while, uh, while they were in recovery, especially to kind of preserve family ties at a time when like, especially tensions were high. Um, and so that for me was an example, you know, thinking about hospitality and what it means to widen the circle of people one considers family um, or kin uh, and that one has an obligation to in times of hardship. I think that's something that really, yeah, that really struck me and stuck with me. Um, and I've seen those own sources of support. I come from, you know, a relatively small town in Northeast Ohio. And 
you know, when my dad, you know, got sick, for example, he was diagnosed with cancer last year, you know, our, our neighborhood really came together, you know, people leaving meals, raking leaves, mowing the lawn, shoveling snow. So it kind of came from a context where like a, a very, you know, not anonymous social context or living context. I mean, so those are the things that, while I understood the limitations of, yeah, the limitations of the community I was raised in also saw so much to value in that. Yes, that's what drew me to the Catholic worker and had really powerful experiences in high school, especially um, of the sacraments. Um, And I think by the time I finished college in particular was looking for ways to integrate the various parts of my faith life that at that time seemed very separate. Um, so, um, participation in the sacramental life of the church and, you know, doing service or caring about social justice. Those were things that didn't seem, that didn't feel as integrated to me in part because, um, I think my experience of Catholic community was that Catholic communities themselves either cared about one or the other. Um, and there wasn't a sense of these things are actually mutually reinforcing and kind of are born out of the same fabric and the same, um, central story. And so I think that's something that um, the house, the Swan Bay house in my time here has been, has really allowed me to explore um, is that, is the really, the reality of the unity between, or the unity of the faith and the various ways that we live it, whether that's in church on S on Sunday or uh, say in the context of our house. Turning it over to you, Bert, can you tell us a little bit about who Simone Whale is and why you chose this person um, as the name of your Catholic worker house. I'll try. Yeah. So I love Simone Vey. She is a um, French woman, died at age 34 in, in 1943, a Jewish. And um, she, was in, she was in the French uh, resistance for a while there. Um, a born not non-observant, essentially atheistic, and was involved. So a lot of parallels with Dorothy Day. Um, and actually, you know, in, including the, 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 you know, their his, historical, um, like when they were alive. So, yeah, she was she was always interested in in justice, which to her, uh, seeing things clearly, seeing seeing the person in front of you, seeing a social reality with clarity, um, meant acting meant that justice was required of you. It wasn't optional. And um, it was this, this penetrating look that she gave to everything. Um, so she was, she was also as a high school teacher and um, as, and she worked with, uh, with labor, especially people, um, especially labor union organizing. And the look that she gave to, uh, to social situations and to, to people in need um, she turned that to to religious texts, and she had a mystical experience um, praying the Our Father, uh, well, saying it, reciting it as poetry, uh, because she didn't know what prayer would be, and God came to her, and she she became sort of a, a, a mystic, you could say, for the rest of her short life. So she she's someone who I consider the the, the patron, like the patron saint of intellectual honesty. She turns that penetrating gaze to everything, and you see, um, in an, another sense, you know what, what Emma was saying about you know the unity of the life of faith. You you see that with a certain type of clarity with Simone Day, because 
that she's not trying to piece things together, not trying to make sure there's a place for this and a place for that. Um, with her, she sees things as they are. And the fact that there is a place that the fact that God, God came to her, that there is a place for that, um, for that person who, who must be treated um, without any sense of power differential. Um, that all of these things come together organically uh, because of sort of her, her, her powerful openness. So we see the, the powerful openness um, and gaze that she trained on everything as, as an inspiration and as another way of sort of unfolding the same things that Dorothy Day um, you know, was interested in. Um, okay, so let's now get to the, the focus of our conversation here, which is, like I said before, the Community Cooperative Banking Project. And just a heads up, there's kind of a lot of different terminology and vocabulary that might be unfamiliar, might not. I, I know for me, um, some of it was like, what does that mean? You know? And so part of this conversation, to be honest, is like continuing to, um, you know, expand my own knowledge base about what are we talking about here? Um, but what I do know, I just had a hunch from the beginning, as soon as I, I learned about it was that this was such a practical and tangible way to live out our faith and specifically our Catholic social teaching, right. Um, to really incarnate, right? Those principles that, that could be so heady and theological. Um, so talk to me a little bit about this uh, community cooperative banking project. It sounds to me that the goal here is to build a parish-based economy grounded in scripture and our tradition. Um, so unpack that for us a little bit. How did you get here? What, what inspired this, um, this initiative? Well, one in inspiration was um, uh, well, a, a retreat where I was reading both the Old and New Testament in depth and was amazingly impressed with how the Old Testament, not just the prophets, but the law, um, shows God's, the sense in which God, in, in which the people of God are called to be a family. God, God is the head of that family and everyone's to take care of each other and have obligations to each other. And that's what covenant is. It's family. And in that family means the same things that, again, that Emma was, was talking about in concrete practice and, and even codified. And I'm thinking that just getting a sense for what that has meant to the, the trajectory of salvation history, and then what that has meant and could again mean for a particular uh, worshiping community, as we come together around this story and practices of renewing our covenant with each other through the Eucharist, through communion, like what would it mean for us to take seriously um, the sense that we're as the people as the people of God, everyone here has an infinite value and worth, and so no one should fall through the cracks. And so the way we handle our relationships and in an economy that is a function of that relationship, um, that in which we can stand in for each other and make sure that people don't become dispossessed, or if they are dispossessed, that they're that they're held and given another chance. It seemed like that's something that. A Eucharistic community could do um, as an expression of, of the Eucharist, as an expression of being God's family that would deepen all aspects of their faith and practice. Um, but we've lost those practices that would, um, that would give a concrete instantiation of the things that we believe about Eucharistic communion. So in a sense, we're, we're trying to do that. We're looking through our tradition uh, to find those practices and to sort of reconnect them. So I guess kind of two different starting points. So first of all, to say a little bit more about um, sort of things Bert was talking about and some of the material that we explore in our liturgy and community economy course, which is one of the starting points for this, um, for this banking project. 
And so one of those practices that Bert was referring to, concrete practices, is the practice of redemption. Uh, so when we hear that word today in the context of the Mass, we think about redemption as like specifically redemption from sin or redemption from death. Um, and But one of the things we're losing or we don't see the full picture of um, is that redemption in the context of the Hebrew Bible carried a specifically economic significance, which is that when um, in the context of a family, people who consider themselves kin, uh, if one of their family members was... Um, like caught in a bad situation where um, they were about to lose their property because of a debt, um, then other family members had an obligation to redeem that debt, to redeem that land. So that way it wouldn't fall outside of the family circle. Um, and so that person ultimately wouldn't suffer from this total dispossession um, of their property. So there that term redemption really means to buy family members out of economically precarious situations. Um, or another way that the term redemption is used, for example, is in the book of Ruth, where you have, um, where you have Ruth who's uh, lost her husband and she's in a new land. And she, um, and at that time for women to have a secure place um, within like the social world, social and economic world, they had to be married. And so in this case, you know, Ruth's kin, you know, uh, uh, Boaz has, you know, marries her. And in that act, he's redeeming her. It's called leveret marriage. So it's a, again, the tradition of redemption, which is understanding that um, Boaz had a redemption or had a particular responsibility to Ruth um, as a member of his family, even not, if not by blood, but by marriage. Um, and that she was facing a life of poverty as a widow. And he had a responsibility to her um, to help her have a secure social and economic place. So it's just some examples of what, what we mean when we use that term. Um, and that's a term that we've taken up um, and used very much in the context of, of this project, which we're now calling um, our mutual economic community or mutual banking project to, um, yeah, to have a little bit more specificity in terms. But another starting point for this, even, uh, you know, in our more recent Catholic history is, you know, the history of the Catholic credit union itself. Um, and that's, you know, the credit union movement was brought to North America by immigrant Catholic communities, specifically Catholic priests whose parishioners did not have access to mainstream financial institutions because of racial and religious biases, or ethnic and religious biases. And so these Catholic priests said, or within the context of the parish, said, hey, if, you know, if we all pool our resources together, we can help you know, this person have access to a large enough amount of credit to buy a house, to start a business, you know, all the reasons why people might need, uh, might take out a loan in today's world. And so there you had an understanding of a credit union really being a union of individuals within a community where the credit union itself was an expression of community life um, and really reflected the actual bonds that people already had uh, within the context of a parish, people already knowing each other and trusting each other um, in some way and feeling a sense of responsibility for one another's well-being. Today, when you look at the credit union, um, credit unions in the U.S. tend to look a lot more like banks. Um, and in other words, you're not, well, in, uh, well, technically credit unions still have to have a bond of association, meaning there's a, there's kind of a defining feature of their sphere of membership. That sphere of membership could be something like, oh, you're a resident of the state of Indiana. <laughs> you, uh, you're a teacher. Oh, you have some association with the Catholic institution. You know, there are these really broad spheres of membership that are no longer, that it can't be uh, really grounded in real relationship between their members. And so that's one of the things that we're really exploring um, through, through this project, this initiative, 
is trying to reground the credit union and its community roots um, while taking that Catholic, that principle of Catholic social teaching of subsidiarity really seriously, the kind of devolving decision-making to the lowest level practicable. So you had this revelation, you're at this retreat, right? And you, now you're at where you're at. What steps did you have to take in order to, to realize this, this idea or this revelation that you had during this retreat? Who did you have to speak with? What resources did you have to get yeah. access to? So it was fun. Yeah, it was, it was a, yeah, it's really, really interesting. Um, so there was a lot of excitement after that. Oh, what, what do I do? What, uh, um, and it started just like brainstorming some possibilities, especially around, um, yeah, starting with parishes, starting with a university. It's like there, there's something where people, there, there is a sense of, sense of intergenerational connection. What could we do there? And so I just started, so I was just talking with people I know. Um, I was actually at a Notre Dame game watch where I, where someone recognized me as a friend of a friend and I started talking to him and he's like, okay, um, you should talk to these two people. Um, one of those two people was the, um, part chief partnerships officer for Notre Dame federal credit union. So, and that was like mm, going on three years ago. So we started a conversation and so the, it was, it was great. It was the stroke of grace. You could say that there was enough, um, there was nothing like what we we're doing exactly, but there was a, com- a basis of common values where we could start to talk about these things. And, and, and that conversation um, just developed over time and got more and more concrete. And until um, also the, there's a, there's a movement uh, of the uh, economy of Francesco movement having to do with, uh, so Pope Francis uh, wanted to gather, especially young people around the idea that, that the economy needs renewal and how, how can people who are trying to do that in one way or another gather together and sort of inspire each other? So there were conversations around that, that again, that was another place where I met more people um, who made it feel like, okay, there's this, this is not just an, you know, this is not an idea of just uh, something you see in the Bible. It's just like, we, we, can, we can talk practically about this. So um, yeah, it, it really developed from that. And then when the when we were able to start the the Catholic worker here a little more than two years ago, then it's like, okay, well, we're, here's a community and this is the function of community. Well, here's a community. We, we first wanted to start in a parish and then we realized that oh, it's hard for a parish to adopt something that's not being done anywhere else already. So it's okay. Well, we've got a community. We've got these where we were already trying to, to live from these same, these same values. Um, the Catholic worker, we, we often talk about the, we often use Peter Marin's phrase, building a society where it's easier to be good. So you can see like this, this credit union where we're practicing redemption among each other economically, very much this is building a small, building a microcosm of the society where it's easier to be good. So to then it's like, okay, here's a place, here's a nonprofit because you need a nonprofit anchor and here's this relationship. And then, then we were able to really get into it and now to build the, the pilot. Yeah. And then the other, the other big thing here was also Emma joining the Catholic worker here and immediately, and this talking about the economic vision that 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 this yeah the sense of the scripture and of the Catholic word tradition is bringing out Emma and I immediately connected over that. So then it's like okay, so now now we can all share the, all the pieces came together. Yeah. Um, okay. So then you started talking to people. You started being involved in these conversations happening around the renewal of the uh, of the economy. And then what happened next? Well, I would say like uh, it's it's interesting to see someone else's trajectory here, which is so this is Bob Klosko, the partnerships officer at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. So I'll just say maybe try to give a sense for that trajectory. First, we connected over, okay, Catholic social teaching, living Catholic social teaching makes sense, and it, it makes sense for as an institute for them as an institution. 
Um, it's like, well, I've wanted my family to practice something like this where we could like, get each other out of debt. But it was it was kind of a tough sell. Like there were there were even maybe even some like social ideological associations that made us think oh, that's something that other people would do. And so it was like, and so it was interesting to see that he he found some barriers uh, there even. Um, the same sort of, you know, large Catholic family is sort of like Emma was was referring to earlier. Let's see, another step would be, um, it was really interesting to see how, um, so like what Emma said about the, the like a credit union um, looks a lot like a bank. So even one who really cares about Catholic social teaching, it's still there's 60,000 members. And it's like, it's like one institution with 60,000 individual spokes. So that's not subsidiarity. That's that's like one head and 60,000 members and the members don't know each other. Well, they may know each other, but there's no way for that relationship that they have with one another to be material as a part of this larger institution. So when they saw that we were trying to do that, that, that made sense to them. I was like, oh, yeah, this is the principle of subsidiarity. And this is also a way of, you know, we talk about subsidiarity and solidarity in the, in the same sentence often because and this would be an example of why, like by banking being essentially a community of communities. Because like NDFCU is the hub of communities of this parish, of this Catholic worker. That allows us to practice solidarity because I don't know, I don't, I don't have anything more in common with those 60,000 people than I do with anybody else. So solidarity would be, have to be abstract. But when, when, there's a, when there's a community we're both part of, I, I emotionally feel the sense that I'm, I'm in solidarity with that person. And there is a starting point for thinking I'm already in relationship with this person. What does their need mean to me? So there, and, and then there's a mechanism by which we could, we could address something. So it, yeah. So we, we got to see the way those connected and luckily the other, um, the other people, the president and their chief lending officers on also, it really made sense to them. And so there was a trajectory there where at first Bob thought, Oh, okay. Well, I have to pitch this to other people. But then I saw like, Oh, wow. These one, once there was, once it was obvious we were getting concrete, um, and that there was a partner, there was like a partner to work with, then um, it moved along and, and there weren't, yeah, enough people were on board to make it happen. And so Emma, um, you were able to uh, establish this partnership with the Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Um, the right people were now um, available and present, right, to make this happen. You had the community, you had the resources, you had the partnerships. Um, and what I was hearing Bert say earlier is that your goal, your first goal was to live this out yourself at the Simone Vale Catholic Worker House, and then, you know, use your, the lessons learned to share that with the parishes in the area and hopefully um, incentivize them, right, to um, partake in this community banking project. Um, what has this um, process been like for you all um, who are trying to live it? So as I mentioned earlier, um, one of the first steps towards this, um, and it, I guess not first steps, but concurrent with the conversations Bert was talking about with Bob Klaska, uh, we were also putting together this course called Liturgy and Community Economy in partnership with Notre Dame's McGrath Institute for Church Life. So it was an online course where we got to you know, add economics material onto an existing liturgical theology course. And through that group, and so that was just, we, you know, invited, you know, a whole bunch of people, sent out the invitation to the Catholic Worker Listserv to... Um, local parishes to people we knew already. Um, so it was really broad um, invitation. And out of that class came the core group of, let's say, five or six people that really be, were the people necessary to start 
uh, this this credit union node here at the Simone Bay House. So uh, those people ended up forming our steering committee. Um, so we all of a sudden, you know, had more people to think with who had, you know, at least done some study into the theology that excited us so deeply. And then also brought so many of their own like skills and experiences, including folks who had been running Catholic worker houses for a lot longer than we had to someone who was starting, you know, a financial planning co-op who had like deep financial experience. So again, the pieces just kind of fell into place there. So these, um, these aren't people that are uh, in the house, but they're, no. they're outside of it. And they participated in this course that you, you all helped design. Exactly. So some are uh, parishioners at local parishes, um, others who've actually only met via Zoom because uh, they run other Catholic worker houses or otherwise just you know, found out about us through you know, friends. or um, Yeah, so that ended up being yeah, a really good opportunity for us to more deeply explore theology alongside other people who had similar interests um, and really gave us the core group of people we needed to think through the logistics of how do we, um, how do we pull something like this off. Um, and again, one of the things that I think in our many conversations with other people in the credit union movement more broadly, one of the kind of special things about this project is that we are partnering with a larger credit union. Um, this especially in the you know, modern world where people expect, you know, like online banking or other sort of kind of modern features to be part of their banking project. Or, you know, when regulations are so dense that, you know, a parish can't really start just a, just a, you know, their own credit union kind of from scratch. Like it's simply too difficult um, to meet, especially banking or the regulations um, or government regulations. And so instead, what, you know, when you find a partner that really has a shared like vision um, and sense of mission, like Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, and that's what really kind of gave us the tools we needed to work to work through this process. Um, and so at first, it was a lot of playing around with the particular mechanisms that we uh, wanted to use. Uh, we drew a lot of inspiration from, for example, from the Hebrew Free Loan Society of New York, uh, which is a Jewish organization that offers uh, non-usurious zero-interest loans to folks who, um, in many cases, would not otherwise have access to credit. And they use the guarantor system. So at the time, we were thinking through these different financial mechanisms, and I have no background in, in these things. So it was just learning the difference between, you know, collateral or cosigner and a guarantor. Um, and so, but they really pointed to, or really helped us see the mechanism for ensuring that this would really be a community rooted in relationship. And that's the using the guarantor system. So basically, um, when someone, when a borrower or potential borrower is applying for credit, applying for a loan, um, that borrower may or may not have the type of credit score that would qualify them to receive such a loan. Um, so one of the options that's made available is someone who, who maybe has better credit, who has a higher income, can stand in for them, can say, oh yeah, I trust this person, I vouch for them. And so the bank actually underwrites the guarantor rather than the borrower. So it's a way of saying, usually your credit score is something that's so tied to you. And it's not something you can really share with others. Like you can't share the credit score right. that you've been earning over time. But this is a way to actually do that, is to actually say like, I'll let my you know, good credit stand in for, for this other person. Um, and so I think that was really when we were able to take a major step forward is when, um, yeah, we were able to explore the guarantor model. And one of the things that really stood out to me from the Hebrew Free Loan Society is, you know, they were talking about usually money. Um, and finances are a taboo topic. It's something that we assume kind of breaks, kind of breaks the bonds of community, either because of um, income differentials or because you know there's a vulnerability that comes with talking about one's financial life. And so, one of the things that um, was really exciting uh, for me, listening to the person who runs the Hebrew Free Loan Society, is he talked about here through so the guarantor system 
this is actually this like lending system actually becomes a way of deepening and strengthening community bonds. We don't usually think about taking out a loan as deepening and strengthening community bonds in some profound way, but this actually creates a way for, yeah, again, like to strengthen real relationships um, through this kind of paired, uh, through this paired like vulnerability and offering. Um, and that's one of the main focuses of our community life is really or the life of our community here is trying to emphasize um, mutuality. This is not, you know, a handout to someone. This is rather, we're trying to create the kind of container that allows this to be a really mutual relationship. And so, for example, um, this might be jumping ahead a little bit, but the four loans that we've done so far, um, the folks, everyone who has received a loan is someone who like deeply contributes to the life of our community in some way. So, for example, one person um, has some skills with computers. So he was out of work um, because he got very sick with COVID. Um, so he's been fixing up computers for some of the people who live with us. So kind of like retrofitting computers that way, you know, people who otherwise didn't have access to them have access to them. Um, someone else has a lot of experience navigating the world of social services. So they've been walking through, you know, some of the people in our community through this, you know, through the bureaucracy of social services. Um, another man is retired, got into a lot of medical debt. He, um, he you know, brings over food regularly and tries to support us in any way he can. Also, he's a former, um, ex, he's a former concrete worker. And so we had some concrete issues in our basement. So he's been asking around to his friends to try to figure out like the best way for us to repair our basement walls, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and so you really see like when there's actual container of a community, there's new possibilities for mutuality that otherwise would be kind of preempted um, in some way. Yeah. And so you, you, you had these connections and then they opened up uh, an account, a, mm -hmm. a banking account effectively and, and move their, their, their funds to um, Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. And now you have this network, this small network um, of people who are all part of the Simone Weil um, is credit union. Is that what you would call it or node? Yeah, we call it. So it's a node of um, Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, but we call ourselves a mutual a mutual economic community. So trying to emphasize that um, yeah, mutuality really is at the heart of this. And so, um, and also that we're trying to explore what mutuality can look like in other spheres of our economic lives. So not just banking, although banking, of course, is kind of the starting point for us through this right. partnership with Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. But through the examples that I was just sharing of the ways you know, notice, you know, none of the people who have received loans, like it's not that, oh, they received credit and now they're a guarantor for someone else. No, it's that they received uh, a loan through and we're a loan through Notre Dame Federal Credit Union were guaranteed by someone and the ways in which like that channel of mutuality works is not through banking, but rather through the particular gifts or expertise they're able to share. So that's kind of what we're trying to harness here is thinking of is to have taking a broader understanding of what we mean by economy and what types of, you know, and what economic exchange can look like. Um that they're not equal. Bert, talk about um, what it would require now for a, a parish, right, to uh, be a part of something like this. Um, what are the kind of uh, steps that they would have to take? What are the, what's the, um, the knowledge that, that you would help provide, you know, given your, your, your lived experience with this whole process? So one part of it is just, the first thing is interest. So like, does, does this sound right to, you know, there's the pastor and there's the congregants, there's the people who uh, you know, as a parish council, like some somewhere if you get traction here, a sense that, oh, this would be and and if there's some traction, there's no reason to think like, oh, well, that's not something that we would do because you might not be more than one or removed from this being a very serious consideration. 
Um, and once that is, then like one track is like the, the, or like the, the technical. Um, so for a parish to do it, to do this, the parish. So this is to, so to look at it from, from the credit union side, this is a sub, a community of its members. So that means that the community has to join both as an institution. So to become, um, uh, so like for a parish, like to hold an account at NDFCU and then for members to become that. So that, that would mean, so that, that would that would be what it means to be a part of the credit union to NDFCU. Would all the parishioners have to be uh, to open an account for to in order to make this happen? No, it 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 that wouldn't be necessary. It would be um, yeah. The the only thing absolutely necessary is that the or is that the is that the parish itself or the nonprofit or that that has the anchor account, and then from there it's just um, yeah. From from there there is there is no benchmark. Where it's like we need this number of of accounts and they, it's not looked at like that just like it wasn't for us when we when we started you know several of us opened them at the beginning and now there's like 30 of us we're not trying to expand uh, much further because we see ourselves as just one community and we hope for other communities rather than an expanding you know central community so but yeah it doesn't um it it can grow sort of organically but i think it makes sense to to get to the other part of it to to start with some of the like education and edification that can right. come from making these connections. So anyway, so that's like, um, so having, having some chances to reflect like this could prepare a community to, for this, not just to be like a nice economic thing, but something that connects us to our faith personally and, and to the parish as, as the place we live at communally. So um, as we kind of draw to a, a close here, um, I guess I'm thinking about folks who might be listening and they're like, this sounds like, something really interesting. I don't know if my parish um, will be involved or, or maybe they just don't even have that kind of relationship yet with their pastor or their pastoral council, you know, to bring it up. Is there ways for folks um, like that to still be involved and to, and to still support this kind of project? So yeah, wherever you are, you can come join us. Not because we're trying to expand into your city with Simone Bay House at the center of it, but just because, yeah, some people are starting this from a point of, of felt isolation. And, uh, and yeah, we'd be happy to, to play that role. Come join us. Like, like Emma said, a lot of this stuff is on, is on zoom. And then, um, and then who knows, like with some people, I think who are, who started off there will, will end up being, you know, the centers of or joining communities that are closer to them doing this, but we're, yeah, we're, we're happy to play that role. And we're so excited to meet people who we don't know, or from new contexts who are finding common cause with us. That's, that's something that's really exciting about doing this. Emma, any final words? I think um, in terms of final words, one thing I wanted to share is just a beautiful line from Dorothy Day that we've used um, to talk about um, this project before. Um, so this is Dorothy Day writing um, the aims about the aims and purposes, specifically reflecting on the mystical body of Christ um, in 1940. So she's restating the aims and means of the Catholic worker. And she writes, for the sake of new readers, for the sake of men on our breadlines, for the sake of the employed and unemployed, the organized and the unorganized, and also for the sake of ourselves, we must reiterate again and again what are our aims and purposes. Together, the works of mercy, feeding, clothing, and sheltering our brothers, we must indoctrinate. We must give reason for the faith that is in us. Otherwise, we are scattered members of the body of Christ. We are not members one of another. Otherwise, our religion is an opiate for ourselves alone, for our comfort, or for the individual safety in a different custom. We cannot live alone. We cannot go to heaven alone. Otherwise, as Piggy said, God will say to us, where are the others? If we do not keep indoctrinating, we lose the vision. And if we lose the vision, we become merely philanthropists doling up palliatives. 
The vision is this. We are working for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein justice dwelleth. We are trying to say with action that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are working for a Christian social order. And then lastly, we believe in the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God. This teaching, the doctrine of the mystical body of Christ, involves today the issue of unions where men call each other brothers. It involves the racial question. It involves cooperatives, credit unions, crafts. It involves houses of hospitalities and farming communes. It is with all these means that we can live as though we believed indeed that we are members one of another, knowing that when the health of one member suffers, the health of the whole is lowered. Um, so that's Dorothy writing in 1940, but it seemed particularly applicable uh, to our world today. And I think I really appreciated the way she brings together, um, you know, the different aspects of the worker vision, the different aspects, um, you know, of the life of faith into this one vision, the vision of really taking seriously ourselves as members of the body of Christ. All right, that concludes my conversation with Emma and Bert from the Simone Whale Catholic Worker. We're now going to transition to the teaching segment of the podcast. I call it the teaching segment not because I'm going to give a, a lecture or anything like that, but rather because this is the part of the show where I select a theme from the interview and show how it's connected to our Catholic social teaching using relevant excerpts and quotes. In doing so, my hope really is that you all, the listeners, can see the value of this teaching and be inspired to get to know it even better so you can use it as you strive to make the world a better place. So the theme that stood out to me in this conversation is that of building mutual relationships and strengthening community ties. This was a concept that Bert and Emma kept going back to over and over again. This is what they're ultimately working toward, and banking is just a vehicle they are using to help get them there. As I thought about this theme, I realized there is no better contemporary source to deepen our understanding of mutuality and what it takes to strengthen community bonds than our Pope's most recent encyclical, Fratelli Tutti, which focuses on just that, except he uses the term fraternity and social friendships. There's a few key excerpts from this document that are particularly relevant to this conversation that I want to share with you now. So let's get to it. And oh, by the way, if you haven't read this document, hopefully this next segment will encourage you to do so. A theme within this theme that was not explicitly mentioned by Burton Emma in the interview is the theme of alienation. This is like the antithesis of mutuality and communion. As I reflected on mutuality, I came to the conclusion that we have to talk about this theme too, this theme of alienation. In other words, we must understand the reality of the issue in order to change the situation. As Pope Francis illustrates in his encyclical, alienation is a silent pandemic in and of itself that has spread and seriously impacted people's mental health during the age of the coronavirus. During the early days of the pandemic, many of us felt fortunate to have digital media, as that was basically the only way that we could all stay connected with our loved ones and mitigate challenges to our mental health. The inverse has happened, however, and we know now that excessive time in the virtual world only exacerbates feelings of loneliness and worsens our state of social-emotional well-being. If we didn't know before, the present situation has pretty much forced our hand to recognize that virtual connections will never replace in-person encounters. I want to share with you what he says in paragraph 43 of his encyclical in full, because the Pope says it much better than I do. And he says, quote, digital media can also expose people to the risk of addiction and isolation and a gradual loss of contact with concrete reality, blocking the development of authentic interpersonal relationships. They lack the physical gestures, facial expressions, moments of silence, 
body language, and even the smells, the trembling of hands, the blushes, and perspiration that speak to us and are part of a human communication. Digital relationships which do not demand slow and gradual cultivation of friendships, stable interaction, or the building of a consensus that matures over time have the appearance of sociability, yet they do not really build community. Instead, they tend to disguise and expand the very individualism that finds expression in xenophobia and in content for the vulnerable. End quote. What the Pope says here about digital media is also true about banking. Modern-day banking blocks the development of authentic interpersonal relationships. Our present financial lives lack all the elements that the Pope mentioned here of authentic human communication. The way we bank today promotes individualism and does not really build community. Connecting these words to banking, we better see Bert and Emma's point that the way we do banking today can never facilitate stronger bonds. Our financial lives, therefore, are only keeping us more and more apart from one another. So what's at stake if we continue to let this silent pandemic of alienation spread? According to the Pope, it's literally a matter of life and death. In paragraph 87, he says, quote, Human beings are so made that they cannot live and develop and find fulfillment except in the sincere gift of self to others. Life exists where there is bonding, communion, fraternity. And life is stronger than death when it is built on true relationships and bonds of fidelity. On the contrary, there is no life when we claim to be self-sufficient and live as islands. In these attitudes, death prevails. End quote. In short, we can only be saved together. I always thank God for being born in this country and having access to all the resources that I have access to. But this, if there's one thing that I've always hated about this country, it's this pick yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. In other words, if you're struggling to get by, then it must mean you're not working hard enough. We leave everyone to their own devices, but God did not mean it this way. He did not design us this way. We need each other. As paragraph 340 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church states, quote, God wills the interdependence of creatures, the sun and the moon, the cedar and the little flower, the eagle and the sparrow, the spectacle of their countless diversities and inequalities tell us that no creature is self-sufficient. Creatures only exist in dependence on each other to complete each other in the service of each other. End quote. We need to go back to the basics. We need community and stronger social ties to be able to remedy the severe alienation so many people experience today. But how? Well, given this conversation with Bert and Emma, I'm convinced that we need to create more opportunities and spaces like the Simone Well Banking Initiative, where people can practice co-responsibility and spiritual and material reciprocity especially in those moments of trials and tribulation, whether that's being experienced at the individual level or the social level like that of the pandemic. In paragraph 115 of the encyclical Fratelli Tutti, Pope says, At a time when everything seems to disintegrate and lose consistency, it is good for us to appeal to the solidarity born of consciousness that we are responsible for the fragility of others as we strive to build a common future. Solidarity finds concrete expression in service which can take a variety of forms in an effort to care for others, and service in great part means caring for vulnerability for the vulnerable members of our families, our societies, our people, end quote. As human beings, we desire so much to contribute and participate in something bigger than ourselves by giving of ourselves, by sharing our gifts and talents and experiences. And herein is, herein is the solution to the problem of alienation. It's that simple. Let's look at the example that we heard in the interview. 
the one that Emma gave specifically, that of the, the one of the members of their community who received the loan, and in return, what do they do? They give their time and their talent of working on computers, or the other person who um, works in construction and, and helped with their basement. Everyone has something to give. No one is useless. And Bert and Emma's testimony bears witness to this truth. And as I reflected on this theme, I was reminded of the new Disney movie called Encanto that I just watched. And if you haven't watched this movie yet, um, spoiler alert coming up, it's basically about this magical candle that gives each individual of this particular family called the Madrigal family a special gift that is meant to serve the broader community. For example, one person has the gift of strength, another the gift of being able to hear everything, another the gift of communicating with animals. Except this one girl. This one girl in the family doesn't get a gift. And, she con- and, and therefore struggles with feeling like she belongs like she's, because she's not contributing to the community like everyone else is. And to turn a long story short, the magic candle ends up extinguishing it and everyone's gifts disappear with it. The girl with no gifts ends up being the catalyst that inspires the rest of the community to help the family rebuild and recover from this tragedy. This is the practice of redemption, Disney style. When a community is able to accept what everyone can bring to the table, then that's when belonging is achieved. That's when one feels they have a home because they have something to give and that gift is received openly and graciously and gratefully. But of course, we shouldn't place all the value on someone based on what they can give or contribute to us. We should value everyone simply for who they are, sons and daughters of God. To close, I want to leave you with this final quote from Fratelli Tutti. And it comes from paragraph 110. Quote, Only when our economic and social system no longer produces even a single victim, a single person cast aside, will we be able to celebrate the feast of universal fraternity. All right, that wraps up this episode of Reclaiming Social Justice. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on your social media platforms and subscribe to Reclaiming Social Justice wherever you listen to podcasts and and let other people know about it, right? Because if if you're finding that this episode is helping you broaden your your understanding of Catholic social teaching and and just your your faith in general, then then hopefully it will also help other people. So the only way to, to make that happen is by subscribing and inviting people to tune into this podcast oh yeah and, and like i said at the top of this interview um reach out to me if you have any feedback if you have any suggestions for for future episode um topics or or guests uh, email me at d-r-a-u-d-a at satiger.org and i will respond i promise you um and even if you don't have any any um, concrete feedback i'm still happy to just connect with you on all things um catholic social justice uh, and like I said at the beginning, even Marvel. I'm a huge Marvel fan. We got the Spider-Man movie coming out. We've got the Hawkeye series coming out. Um, so anyways, those are some of the things that I'm passionate about and would be happy to connect with you on. I've also recently created a, a feedback form where you can leave me your thoughts and recommendations of the podcast. You just need to go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T period L-Y forward slash reclaiming SJ feedback. That's bit.ly slash reclaiming sj feedback you can find this link at the end of the show notes i also want to uh, encourage you all to go online to the samuel catholic worker house to learn more about them their website is in the show notes if you are able to make a donation to their to their work so that they can continue 
doing this this uh, banking project as well as the other projects that they are trying to organize so that's it for this episode of reclaiming social justice i will see you next month on the last wednesday of the month for our our newest episode of this podcast until then i hope you all have a a joyful christmas a christmas season and a happy new year and we'll see each other soon take care peace y'all